your word today, God, tonight. And as we come to you, God, our hearts are laid before you. And we thank you that you are a God. You are a holy, holy, holy God. And we come to you in humbleness and knowing that we're not worthy, Lord, of anything you bless us with. But God, thank you that you still love us. Your mercy and grace is with us. And your mercies are new every morning. And so we come before you right now, God, to ask for just a refreshing of your spirit upon us. And that you would speak to us and you bless your word right now. So anoint it with your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the Korean War, uh, Baker Company was cut off from their unit. The corpsman tried to reach them on the radio saying, Baker Company, do you read me? What is your situation? Well, after several tries, out from the static came, this is Baker Company. The enemy is east of us. The enemy is west of us. The enemy is north of us. The enemy is south of us. We are completely surrounded. Then after a slight pause, Baker Company came on and say, said, but they are right where we want them. I like that. The enemy is not going to get away from us, they said. I like that because that kind of decidedness, if that's a word, that kind of resolve is powerful. Not giving up, even in the face what it seems like, all odds. Seems like when you're powerless. I was thinking about it's like when David was facing off the giant Goliath. If you remember, the Israeli soldier said, he's so big we can't kill him. But David, holding his sling, said, he's so big I can't miss. It's all on perspective. It's all on understanding that if God is with you, then you are not powerless but powerful. Well, as we return here to our study in the book of Acts, the early church seems to be powerless against the powerful Jewish religious leaders. But Jesus actually made the believers powerful and the Jewish religious leaders powerless to stop them. So the title of our message tonight is this, The Powerful and the Powerless. The Powerful and the Powerless. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 42. We have a big chunk to take here. We're going to finish off this chapter. Uh, but it's all one story, so I really wanted to get to the whole uh, rest of this chapter as we started off last week in chapter 5. Well, we're going to see four things here, and this is the four points. Number one, the awesome wonders. Number two, the angry leaders. Number three, the affirming answers. And number four, the anointed persistence. That's our points for today, and it's our outline. So let's begin with number one, the awesome wonders. The awesome wonders. Here we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16 in this section. But first of all, let's take a look at like the first three verses in this section. Uh, from verse 12, Acts chapter 5. Read with me here. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. We'll stop right there. We begin with Luke here, the writer of this book saying, now many signs and wonders were regularly done. In other words, there's a lot of miracles going on. And there was a powerful move of God going on, a powerful work of God, so much so that miracles were, were, were actually coming out of the apostles' ministry. It was by their hands. It was by what they did. It was from them. God was using them to perform many of these signs and wonders. And I keep thinking back to what God had promised, what Jesus had promised way back in Acts chapter 1. You remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
Now we understand, as I mentioned before, that the signs and wonders were really uh, proving and supporting what the apostles were teaching and preaching, and that was Jesus Christ. So here, the apostles are ministering now uh, through the whole power of the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. So the apostles, they ministered to believers, they're sharing Jesus, evangelizing. Here in verse 12 says, all, they were all together, they're meeting in Solomon's portico. If you remember that was mentioned before, when Peter first preached his sermon back in chapter 3, and it, it is a portion of the temple, it's an area of the temple where these columns were, and there was like a lanai over there next to the actual temple, but on the temple grounds. And there many of the rabbis would teach their students, or they would pray there. But here the apostles were basically holding their service, having church there. And the believers were gathered together hearing the teachings of Jesus. And there, many signs and wonders. God was working powerfully. And we see that in verse 14. And more than ever, believers are added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. God was moving in a great way, not just in the healings, but he was bringing people to Jesus. He was, being, he was saving people in Jesus. So there was a lot going on here. There's, there, there's a movement going on here. But notice verse 13. I want to go back there. I didn't skip it. Um, I, I am purpose. I just was giving you a background on what's going on. But notice Verse 13, it says, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Who is the rest? Well, the rest is talking about the unsaved people. There was a lot of believers and people getting saved, and they were meeting there, there. They were seeing the work of God going on, the healings, and, and Jesus' word going out in the gospel, and people getting saved. But none of the rest, the rest of the people, say around that temple area who weren't saved, that none of the rest dared join them. They didn't want to be a part of what's going on. Why is that? Well, as we come into verse 12 and this whole rest of this chapter, we come off of what we saw last week. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit when they sold their property and say, oh yeah, we, we gave some, um, this is what we sold it for and we give you this, but actually they're holding some back. Do you remember? And then what happened? Well, they died. Because of that lie. And so remember last week, this first sin in the church was dealt with harshly by God in making this statement. So you can imagine the people hearing about this now. The people around in the temple, in the air, thinking, whoa, Ananias, Sapphira died there? Whoa, I'm not sure if we want to go there. Because why? Because they felt that their life wasn't right before God. And them too could die also. So notice here that in, he, in, in hearing about what happened, some people were not sure to move forward in Christ. You know why? Because they're not willing to give up sin. I mean, the believers, those who were coming to save, they came to repentance in Christ Jesus. But here, these people are like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to give up that the sin. Yet, at the same time, we see in verse 13 that they held them, the apostles, in high esteem. They still honored them. They still respected them. They weren't willing, though, to give their lives over to Jesus in repentance of their sin. That, that's what's going on. That's why they were like, ah, I'm not sure about joining them. And what we see here, the church should have high moral standards against Sin. It should. It should be something like that. Why is that important? Well, not only are we to obey God, not only is the word important, not only is God, as we just sang, holy, 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 but we want to glorify God in our lives. And so church isn't just a place that, oh, well, we can do whatever, come together and do whatever we want. No, we've come to honor God, to glorify Him, to seek Jesus, to follow His word, to learn of His word. To what? Repent of our sins and turn to Jesus Christ. And isn't that the gospel message? That we would turn to Jesus. That we would turn away from our sins, go to Jesus, find forgiveness, 
and be able to have a life with God through Christ. I mean, think about this. Turn over just to the left to chapter 3, verse 19. And in verse, I mean, verse Acts chapter 4, uh, it was verse 18, sorry. Or no. Why am I mixed up here? Something's not, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 3, verse 19. Peter's cheap, I mean, verse 19, chapter 3. Peter saying, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That's the message that Peter continues to give, that we would repent of our sins. And that was the message that was going out in this area, in Solomon's portico, when the apostles were sharing Jesus and so the people dare not join them because they weren't ready to give up of their sin. So let's go on here, back to Acts chapter 5. We go on to verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So God was moving in a powerful way. Many were coming to believe in Christ. People were getting healed. There were signs and wonders. And here's an example Luke gives here in verse 15, that even they were bringing the sick out to the apostles and they even so much so that they would just lay them on the streets on cots and mats that even if peter walked by they believed that at least his shadow might fall on some of them now here's a couple things here first of all it doesn't say some commentators say it doesn't say that that's what happened that his shadow fell and they got healed but perhaps that's what they believe because there's such a powerful work that was going on Peter, maybe it happened, maybe not. Some commentators believe that, well, you know, it doesn't say that happened. Um, There's some more pagan beliefs that um, some deities can do that or certain people. But it could be that that happened or it could be they just believed in it. But either way, the reason they would even uh, put them out on the street just so as Peter would walk by or apostles walk by is there's so many people coming. And that's what verse 16 says. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem. There's so many flocking here to the temple to find healing. Even those, it says, verse 16, afflicted with unclean spirits. They probably a demon possessed or even those who were oppressed by demonic spirits. They are being brought to the apostles wherever they could find them. And I like this part. They were all heal now what luke is bringing out here is the awesome wonders and these awesome wonders shows that jesus is still working and now through the apostles that's what we're seeing here that's what's happening here whenever in book of acts as as we go through this and we see these signs and wonders we see the healings we see the miracles it is really saying that jesus is still here that's what god is saying jesus is still working as he did when he walked on the earth before he died on a cross rose again and ascended to the heaven now the apostles are tasked and jesus through the apostles by the power of the spirit is working and it's all in the name of jesus as we have seen in past chapters so this is the awesome wonders that are going on here. And it's Jesus still working. And now through the apostles. I was thinking about a dear saint in our church uh, had shared with me how recently she had uh, given some tea to someone who's not saved going through a bout of cancer. And um, it was a special homebrew tea. And, they, and she, she said that she prayed over the leaves and all gave it to the lady and she drank and I don't know how, maybe for a month but then next time she went to the doctor the cancer was gone but I was thinking how that's just saying look Jesus is still here he's using us in whatever way we can our prayers maybe um, tea or what, whatever that that is God wants to use us with awesome wonders to continue to 
heal people, to bring Jesus Christ into their lives. And um, I, I, I prayed for people who would be cast of demons. I know a lot of pastors who really face that, face-to-face in that way, in, in real ways, and demons have been cast out. The awesome wonders that we see in the book of Acts is still going on today. Jesus is still working here, now through the apostles. But you know what? Today, now through us. So be open to how God may want to use you through these awesome wonders. So we see the awesome wonders. Let's go to number two, the angry leaders, the angry leaders. Here we're going to cover verse 17 through 26. Verse 17 through 26. Take a look at verse 17 and 18 first. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested apostles and put them in public prison. Now, understand what's going on here. The, 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 the apostles are getting a gathering, a crowd. Uh, the people are excited about Jesus because the apostles are preaching about Jesus about the resurrected Jesus, about Jesus and Jesus' name. People are being healed and the teaching of the word of God. And so they're getting excited. There's a crowd. There, there, there's a interest. There's, there's, this, there's this, um, just this whole thing going on. And so, of course, the re- Jewish religious leaders, they're taking notice. And they don't like what's going on says here, but the high priest, verse 17, and the high priest, probably Caiaphas, it could be Ananias, if you remember, Ananias is like um, um, really the head. Caiaphas is the sitting high priest, but before him was Ananias, but he's still in control, kind of like the godfather of, of this group of we read here Sadducees. That is the party of the Sadducees. Now, the whole Jewish religious leaders, the whole council, you can say, was made up of different groups. Kind of like our government has, you know, Democratic, Dem- Democrats, Republicans, and so on. Um, uh, you know, Green, and I forget the other ones. But so it was with the ruling uh, leaders in Israel. They had like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, uh, the Scenes. So here, they, this is particularly the Sadducees. They were the high priests. They were the ones in control. They were running this whole racket in the temple. Remember selling the, the sacrifices, the doves and all. Uh, and then uh, they're running the exchange rate you know, where you can only use a, a shekel. All of that. Uh, uh, everything they were running. And so these guys, the high priest, they didn't like what was going on. And notice it says they were filled with jealousy. What were they jealous about? Well, they're jealous that the apostles were attracting all these people. They're jealous that the apostles were growing in power because more people liked them. They didn't like that. They wanted to be the ones in the position. They wanted to be the, the ones there Uh, with all the power over the people. So they did not like that. So what did they do, verse 18? They arrested them. They took them into custody, put them into prison. Now, notice here too, before we go on, it doesn't say anything about the apostles. They like uh, protested here. They didn't argue. They didn't do a sit-in or a hunger strike here. They just went with it. They just went with it. And so they were arrested, put in prison. But look what happened in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What is this life? Jesus. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came, and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now this council is like the supreme court of Israel. It's all these religious leaders. It's the Sanhedrin. It's the 71-member council overseeing everything in Israel. And they basically held this court. And so they went to 
uh, they sent the guards to get the apostles out to be brought out from prison. Now, uh, one of the commentators mentioned that this is all 12. And, and it seems like all 12 of them, they, they grabbed them all, everyone, the leadership of this early church. But, verse 22, when the officers came, did, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found, isn't this amazing, the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Isn't that crazy? So the angel somehow opened the prison door. They got out. They're out there now in the morning preaching Jesus, doing what they're, they, they, they've been doing. But the guards are still standing there. The, the doors are still locked. Isn't that crazy? They go to look and what? They're gone. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. If the guards were like, um, you know, the Star Wars thing, you don't see us walking by, you know, kind of thing. Or, or maybe they were made invisible. I don't know, walked through the doors. I, I'm not sure. But either way, the guards were still standing guard and the doors were still locked and they opened it up and no one was inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. What were they teaching? Jesus. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So they, they went, and they, whoa, they're, they're, they're out there, you guys. So the, the guard goes out, gets them, brings them all back. But notice it says, not by force. I mean, I'm not going to mess with these guys. Now, somehow they got out, you know. There, there's some power going on there. It's all starting to click together. What? People are being healed by them. Demons are being cast out. And now, all of a sudden, locked doors, guard, they're out there. Oh, what, what is this? What's going on? Uh, guys, can you imagine? Hey, guys, um... Uh, the chief priest guys, they, they, wanna, they, wanna, they still want to see you. Can you please come with us? You know, probably real humble, kind of, ooh, ooh kind of gingerly. But they came. So the apostles came. And again, I like how the apostles did not protest. Now, before we go on, understand this. The angry leaders, right, they couldn't stop God's work. Do you see that? The angry leaders couldn't stop God's work. They went out and they kept preaching Jesus. And you can't stop the gospel from going out. I think about 2 Timothy 2.9, Paul wrote here, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. He wrote that when he was, said in, he was in prison. But he said, But the word of God is not bound. I love that. We sing that song, you, um, you know, you, you cannot be stopped. And I think about, God, your word, your teaching, the truth about you cannot be stopped. Nothing can stop God. He's unstoppable. God, as I mentioned, right, um, uh, with um, help David, right, and a pebble, and, they t- and he took down a giant. God, and with Gideon, using Gideon and 300 men, took down 135,000 enemy soldiers. And guess what? The same God as we sing that is working here is working in us too. I want to encourage you guys. Though here are the religious Jewish leaders, right? They're powerful people. They're, they're the top. They're the, they're the chief guys over Israel. Yet, they don't have the power to stop the apostles preaching Jesus. I was thinking about this um, Cuban named Pedro. He once was a criminal, but he, he came to the Lord, got saved in Jesus, and, and he started sharing Jesus in a park. He started witnessing Christ wherever he went. Uh, but he got arrested. This was way back, um, way before this, this was even allowed. In jail... He witnessed 
to other prisoners in jail. He was arrested. He, he witnessed to the guards. And you know what he would say? He would say this. You know, you know who I was, a delinquent, always in prison. But Jesus Christ saved me. Jesus Christ freed me. How could I not tell what he has done for me? I love that. He said, if you have brought me here to this jail, it is because you also need Jesus. I thought, wow, what an outlook there. He's telling the guards, well, you, you, I think you brought me to jail. I got arrested for this because, you know what, you need Jesus and you need to hear the message. Well, he was finally released, but he continued to share in the parks, train stations. Eventually, he went to other cities. The, police, the original police station got a call from a, the, the, the police station from the other city and um, wondering about what's going on with this guy. Well, the original police station told the other city station, this guy has caused more damage inside jail than out. Because he won't stop preaching. <laughs> I love that. And guess where Pedro's favorite place is? The police station, <laughs> he says. Because he loves to share Jesus. And then he even tells of how there's officers now coming to the Lord and secretly having interest in Jesus. They're secretly asking for a Bible. You cannot stop God and the gospel. So we see here the angry leaders, the awesome wonders. Let's go to number three, the affirming answers, the affirming answers. Here we're going to cover verse 27 through verse 40. Uh, let's take a look at the first two verses in this section, verse 27, 28. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Okay, here's, here's the religious leaders. Here's the charge. They're, they're having court, basically. They're, they're, they're bringing up the charges, and, and basically they're saying, Hey, look, we strictly charge you. Remember, Back when uh, Peter healed the layman, they took him into custody. And in chapter 4, they, they told him, don't preach Jesus. Stop preaching his name, the name of Jesus. Notice here when they say, look, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Do you notice that they couldn't even say Jesus? They're just saying this name in that way. Yet, you guys kept going. You didn't stop. And you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Is, I, I think that's a compliment, not a charge. I don't think that's a bad thing to do. I think that's a great thing that's happening, that all of Jerusalem is being filled with the name of Jesus, with the teaching of Jesus, of who Jesus is, the gospel of Jesus, the word of God. Oh, may that be for us in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in, in our places of work, our neighborhoods, and our community, that, that Jesus would be filled all in the areas that we go around in. And then they said, look, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us? Well, actually, that's what Peter said, right? Peter, he's going to tell him again that you, you guys killed him. He told the people in his sermon in chapter 4, you guys put him on the cross. You guys murdered him. You were partying that. And so here's the religious leaders like, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us? You mean you're trying to make us accountable for this? Responsible for this? We're the religious leaders. We're, the, we're over you. We're the Pharisees. We're the Sadducees. We're the Sanhedrin. And you accuse us of this? But the thing is, it's true. Because in Matthew 27, 25, when Pilate was saying, look, you guys, wanting to release Jesus, and they are saying, crucify him, crucify him. When Jesus was on the cross and all, the religious leaders, along with the people, said in Matthew 27, 25, his blood be on us and our children. 
That's what they said. It's only the truth. Hey, it's like reality check, you guys. That's what you said. That's what you quoted. You said you would take responsibility. But you know why these guys are saying that. They don't want to look bad, right, in front of people. Now something's going on, something real. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. I mean, and, and there's teaching of the Word of God going forth powerfully to where people are getting saved. People are growing in Jesus Christ. Something's going on. They, they cannot uh, refute that. And now they're getting embarrassed about what happened and their party of what they did in putting Jesus on the cross. And you're trying to shame us. You're trying to put responsibility on us. You're talking bad about us. They didn't like that. Well, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The religious leaders, the authority over them is telling them, look, you can't preach in his name. But Peter and the apostles, they respond with, hey, you're bringing us to this point where we can obey you. We got to obey God in this. God asked us to preach Jesus. We cannot compromise in what God has asked us to do. You can say they have a higher court to answer to. I mean, this is similar to what Peter said, right, in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we we have seen and heard. Remember, Peter is the same thing. You're telling us not to preach Jesus, but we're going to have to go against your demand because God is telling us to preach. Now, I'm sure Peter, I'm sure the apostles, I'm sure with their understanding from what Jesus had taught them, they they understand to respect the elders, to submit to authority, to the government, as Peter wrote, right? We studied that uh, months ago in 1 Peter 2. Uh, Paul wrote, Romans 13, to submit to the government. And they were all under the Roman government. I'm sure their heart is to respect and submit under the, the ruling elders of Israel. But on this point, they have to go against them. When they tell them not to preach Jesus, not to preach the word, they have to obey God. They have to obey his word. They have to go against Remember when in Daniel chapter 6 when uh, the edict went out, the, the advisors to the king there was trying to get Daniel, so they tricked the king into making this edict that everyone could only pray to the king. Yeah, No other gods, no one else, only to the king. And what did Daniel do? He obeyed God. He did what he did. Every day he went and he opened his windows toward the area of Jerusalem, and he bowed down and prayed to God. And what was the consequences of that? You remember? He was thrown into the lion's den. But God saved him from that. There is a time when we have to go against the authorities when they tell us not to what? Preach or teach Jesus Christ. And so this is where Peter is at. He said, look, we must obey God rather than men. So in verse 30, the, he goes on and says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter goes on here. He, he doesn't say, you, you guys are crazy. You guys, you know what, we're just going to do what we want, we, we're going to do and, and just leave us alone. I believe here in these three verses, Peter reaches out to them. 
He's preaching Jesus just as he did in his other sermon. It's similar. He is not like responding in like spite or retaliation or like, oh yeah, well, you know, you can't take our rights away. Oh yeah, you know what he does? He says, look, this is our stand. We're going to still preach Jesus, but let me tell you about Jesus. I believe it's compassion. I believe when he's saying here, it's out of a compassionate heart. And he says, look, the truth is, the God of our fathers, now, they're all Jewish here, right? The God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, hey, the God of our fathers, he's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is alive now. It's like he's saying, look, what you're seeing is because Jesus is here now. He's alive. He's, he, he, he's, he's alive. The, our fa- the God of our fathers raised Jesus. And then, look, the truth is, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. There it is. He's straight. He's saying, look, you guys conspired to kill, have Jesus die on the cross. You guys killed him. You murdered him by having him go to the cross and manipulating the Romans. It was your doing. Now, what, was he putting them down? No, he was just saying, look, the truth is this, that you were party to this, that you were all part of that, to get them to the place of what? repentance so peter goes on in verse 31 god exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior i like this because he's saying look god the god of our fathers raised him up he rose from the dead and now he's ascended he's exalted now he's put in that place of honor and power at the right hand of god that's jesus that's the lord jesus christ as leader or like king or like master, he's the head and savior. But he's our savior at the same time. So he's trying to get the, the religious leaders to see that, look, Jesus is your savior too. That's why he came. Actually, though you killed him, he died on the cross for our sins. And so he says to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Jesus came so that 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 it would be a play that place or 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 a way for Israel to repent of their sins and then to find forgiveness of their sins. So can you hear his heart? He's not putting them down. He's not retaliating. He's not, he's not like, you killers, you, you, you guys did it. I'm, yeah, you, know, you should be ashamed. No, he's trying to share the gospel with them. And then verse 32, he's like, look, we're witnesses of these things. That, that's all we are. Yeah, we're, we're apostles. God is using us in this way, but it's because we witness this and, and we're sharing our testimony to these things of what we saw. That's what they're saying. We're not making this up. It's, it's what we learn. It's, it's our testimony of, of our life with Jesus and what he's doing. And then he says, so is the Holy Spirit. And I love this because the Holy Spirit, he's the one giving us these things to say. He's the one moving in our lives to bring healing. The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. And what is He talking about? He's talking about what we talked about in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. That when the baptism of the Spirit came, the Spirit in the first, the first time came into believers in Christ to live inside of them. Remember, in the Old Testament, only like... Special kings or prophets were filled with the Spirit. But now every believer has the Holy Spirit. And the ones who obey Him, meaning the ones who respond to the gospel, the ones who give their life to Christ. So here's Peter just just giving the gospel to, to these religious leaders. And I'm sure the apostles, Peter, John, they're all like, wow, what a great opportunity this is to go before them. No wonder they didn't protest. No wonder they're not like ah, resistant and having sit-ins. No. They saw even in this bad situation, just like Pedro did, an opportunity to share Jesus Christ powerfully in the Holy Spirit. Well, in verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council 
named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. And he said to them, verse 35, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, uh, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, like scourged them, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. All right, so though Peter reached out with compassion, with the truth of the state where they are, in sin, but God wants to forgive them if they would repent and they could be saved too. And, and, and Peter laid it out clearly who Jesus is. He is God. He's at the right hand of the Father. He is the Messiah. Well, these guys, they didn't like it. They were angry. They were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But when they were all in their emotion and all upset, this Pharisee now, remember the Sadducees were the head guys, the high priests and everything. Well, the Pharisee, this Pharisee, part of the whole Pharisee group that was there, uh, that was in the council, named Gamaliel, uh, a teacher of the law, he stood up and he spoke up. Now you have to understand that Gamaliel, I'm not saying his name right, am I? Gamaliel, Gamaliel, he was very highly respected. He was known as the greatest rabbi of, of all. Matter of fact, Paul references his credentials, if you remember, um, that he was one of his, that, that uh, he was uh, his mentor that Paul trained under him. So here's a very respected rabbi, and he stands up. He speaks up. So everyone gets quiet because everyone really highly honors him. And so Gamaliel, he's like, okay, guys, men of Israel, you know what? Take care. Be careful what you're going to do with these guys, he's saying. Uh, because think about it this way. In verse 36, he's like, remember the, the, that guy the, Theodos? Theodos? He rose up, right? He claimed to be somebody, someone of God, and, and uh, 400 guys joined him. But then he was killed, and what happened? Well, then all the other guys dispersed, and his movement came to nothing. So he's like, look, remember that incident? Well, perhaps that's what's going on here. He brings up another example, verse 37, and after him was Judas the Galilean. Now, this is different from Judas Iscariot. Um, actually, we don't know anything of Theodos, but we do know from history Judas, this Galilean, uh, he rose up and in, in, in got this following in about 6 A.D. And... What happened? Well, he died too, and all his following, um, they were scattered. And not, after that, nothing came about that movement, so to speak. So here's um, Gamaliel saying like, well, think about it this way. If this undertaking, if what's going on, this movement with this guy, uh, uh, with these guys, is of man, it's going to fail. But if God is really... Behind this, he's saying, you're not going to be able to stop this. You're not going to be able to overthrow them. And you might even be opposing what God is doing. So he's saying, look, whatever is of God will succeed, but whatever is of man, it won't. Now, at first read, I, I think we would say, well, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense, right? If God's in it, you can't stop, and that's true. You know, if it's man's thing, yeah, it's, 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 it's not going to keep going or survive. But you can't totally blanketly 
say that because just because something's popular doesn't mean it's of God. Just because maybe a movement has kept going for years and years and grown doesn't mean necessarily is of God. I mean, think about the religions in the world. I mean, Buddhism is the national religion of many countries. Think of Mormonism. They're, they have a lot of money. They've grown, right? Jehovah's Witness. So it's not necessarily true. Plus, Jesus isn't some insurrectionist, yeah? That he's just some guy, a rebel, standing up and, and trying to change things. By the way, this Judas of, of um, Galilee, he, he, um, his followers dispersed, but they became known as the, uh, they were known as the zealots. And if you remember, Simon was a zealot. He was actually part of this group. But does, so, so it's not necessarily true. You know what uh, Gamaliel should have done? He should have said, you guys, let's look at the scripture. Let's see what scripture says and what these guys are claiming about Jesus Christ. Let's see what the prophecies say about the Messiah. And remember Jesus in his lifetime, right, on the earth, he, he was living out the prophecies of, of the sick getting healed, the blind seeing, the lame walking, right? The prophecies in Isaiah. That's what Gamaliel should have done. He should have stood before everyone. Being a rabbi, highly honored as someone who knows the scriptures, he should have brought the scriptures. And that's what we got to do, you guys. We have to uh, look at the scriptures and what they are saying about us, about, about what God is doing in your life. I think we have to be careful how we define what success is because sometimes we think, well, in our mind, what success is, oh, a lot of money, uh, a lot of things, maybe a lot of people. Well, yeah, well, well then God is with, with me. I mean, yes, God can. I mean, we see the early church just exploding. But God may not work that way all the time. So we need to understand what the word says to help us know that God is with us and behind us in our efforts. So anyway, we have to be careful of taking this to be a blanket statement about, oh yeah, well then God's in it and God's not in it if, 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 um, if, if it just falls apart. We don't know that. Look at the scripture. Well, then we read that um, they took his advice, but what they did was they called in apostles and they, they still wanted to give them a lesson. They beat them or they scourged them and they told them again, they charged them, don't speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. So they took his advice in that they didn't kill him, but all right, we'll just allow it to go and maybe they'll get killed and the same thing will uh, this will all disperse like what happened to these other guys. All right. I want you to see the affirming answers here that we just studied. First of all, the apostles affirm Jesus. That's what they're doing. They're affirming, you know, Jesus is Lord God. He did rise again from the dead. He is alive. He's the one working here and he wants to save you. But the second thing, the affirming answers you see with the religious leaders it just shows their stubborn heart in their dialogue and their answers and in what they did to the apostles. They're still stubborn. They didn't receive it. They didn't, oh, you guys, tell us more about Jesus. Gamaliel should have said, let's look at the scriptures. Ask the apostles, look, what are you, what are you saying here with the scriptures? But they were stubborn. Why? Because of their sin, their jealousy, their hoarding, wanting to hold power and, and not give in to their position. Remember the Sadducees, they, were, they, were, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the afterlife, that this life on earth, that's it. So they were into money. They're into power. They're into possessions. That was everything. And, and, and so that's why they're so 
into and so devious about it. Funny thing, it was the angel. They don't believe in angels, but the angel let them go, right? Let the apostles go from prison. They were willing to just not believe in what's going on, the truth, but just continuing on in their own world of legalism and what they thought was true and really was a lie. And that's what the affirming answer shows. The apostles affirm Jesus, the truth, but the leaders affirm their stubborn heart. They're still holding on to what they think is true, which isn't. Mark Twain once said, a lie runs around the world while truth is still putting on her shoes. And I give you that because that's Satan. He wants to make the lie grow more than what the truth is. He wants to squash the truth. That's why there's so many cults. That's why why, uh, out there, many beliefs and people grab onto it. Oh, it sounds good to them. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true, like Jehovah's Witness. Oh, no, we're not going to believe in hell because we don't like that. So they take that out. But the lies only made these religious leaders blind to what's really true. And that's Satan's intent, you guys. To blind you from the truth that is in Jesus, that can save you, that can empower you, that can rescue you, that can free you, that can help you, that is there for you, to help you understand what you go through, to help you persevere and keep going on. That's why we study the Word, and that's what's in here. All right. Well, can you see here that the powerful actually became powerless, and the powerless, seemingly apostles, became powerful We've seen the awesome wonders, the angry leaders, the affirming answers. And our last heading here is the anointed persistence. The anointed persistence. The last two verses here. It says here in verse 41, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that uh, uh, amazing? that they would count it worthy, that we were beaten, that we were arrested, that we were humiliated. Why is that? Well, we've been talking about that in 1 Peter, right? They suffered for Jesus, and it was worth it, for they did it for him, for his glory. They were following in his footsteps. They felt privileged to be able to suffer for his name. Let me tell you, you cannot stop people like this. These people are powerful who are even willing to suffer and say, wow, God, that I, I, I counted uh, that I was worthy, wow, to suffer for, for you, to be dishonored for your name. Verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So what did they do once they left? What, was, what did they do the next day? The same thing they've been doing. They kept preaching and teaching Jesus. They, every day they, they kept going to the temple. They went house to house. Many of the smaller groups were, were the smaller house churches. They went there teaching and preaching there. They were this unstoppable force so the last point is that this very heading is the anointed persistence they're anointed with the holy spirit they were anointed and blessed by god they they were obeying jesus and they were anointed because of that and nothing stops them nothing could stop them they knew that this was god's mission let me bring David back again. Remember, think about David, right? When he was facing Goliath, he knew that God would be with his people, with his army. He knew that God would not let his people down. That meant let him down. He knew that God would not break his promise. And if Goliath made himself the obstacle to God's promise, then God would just, bing, flick him away. <laughs> He'd be gone. David saw God bigger than the 
Philistines, right? Let me put it this way. David was not self-confident, but God-confident. And that's what we need to be. Not self-confident, but God-confident. So be God-confident today. No matter what happens, He is there for you. And I want to just close with this story. A medical missionary was on furlough sharing his at his church in Michigan, and, and this is what he shared. While serving at a small field hospital in Africa, I traveled every two weeks by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. This required camping overnight halfway. On one of these trips, I saw two men fighting in the city. One was seriously injured, so I treated him and witnessed to him of the Lord Jesus Christ. I then returned home without incident. Upon arriving in the city several weeks later, I was approached by the man I had treated earlier. He told me he had known that I carried money and medicine. He said this, Some friends and I followed you into the jungle knowing you would camp overnight. We waited for you to go to sleep and planned to kill you and take your money and drugs. Just as we were about to move into your campsite, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. The missionary went on to say, well, I laughed at this and said, I was certainly all alone out in the jungle campsite. The young man pressed the point. No, sir, I was not the only one to see the guards. My friends also saw them and we all counted them. It was because of those guards that we were afraid and left you alone. Well, at this point, as he was sharing in the church, one, one of the men in the church jumped up and interrupted the missionary and asked, can you tell me the exact date when this happened? Well, the missionary stopped and thought for a while and then recalled the date and told everybody. And the man in the congregation then told his side of this story. The man in the congregation said, on that night in Africa, it was morning here. I was preparing to play golf, and, I was, and as I put my bag in the car, I felt the Lord strongly leading me to pray for you. In fact, the urging was, was so immediate that I called the men of this church together, and we got together and prayed for you. Will all of those men who met with me that day please stand? And guess how many men stood? Twenty-six. I love that story. See, with God and prayer, the seeming powerless is actually very powerful. So understand now about you. Understand, you and I, we, we aren't powerless. We aren't. In God, we're very powerful. And so understand who really is the powerful and the powerless. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and this story, God, and and this account. Though we smile at some of the things that happened, the angel letting the guys out without even opening the door to prison or the guard knowing, or we kind of smile at, at how the religious leaders couldn't do anything. God, I'm sure this was a a stressful time, Lord. I'm sure this was difficult in that here is the apostles and their, the leaders of their nation, the religious leaders whom, God, they, they give respect and obedience to you coming down on them like this. The shame of being arrested and, 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 and taken away in front of everybody. I'm sure there was fear and what would happen to them? Would they die? Certainly the leaders wanted to kill them. But Lord, you filled them with your spirit, with the boldness and the courage. And I believe that it was underneath all that was your love and compassion that drove them to speak the truth in love. To not only confront the sin, but give the answer to that sin, and that's you, Jesus. And so, oh God, I, 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 I give that out tonight 
with anyone, Lord, at the sound of my voice, that they would come to Christ, that they would see how their sins are really keeping them away from you, that their sins are making excuses to believe the lie and to be blind to the hope we have in you, your love and your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, a relationship with you to know you, to find freedom from the bondage, to find God living in us through the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, may you reach out to all of us tonight to understand that whatever we we face in you, God, Lord, we have the power to change lives, that we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Lord, that, that wherever we go, whatever we face, Lord, that's not so much about us. Lord, we'll, we'll let you take care of us. Lord, that's your job. Our job is to just share you, Jesus, and to keep sharing you and glorifying you in our lives. So, Lord, I pray for those who need you tonight, that you would forgive them, heal them, and touch them. I pray for anyone, God, who has been shy about talking about you, that you give them boldness, Lord. And I pray for all of us, God, that we would love you more and love others with compassion by giving the truth about you, Jesus. Lord, Lord, how wonderful it is to know that you are alive, that you're sitting at the right hand of God, that you rule and reign, that you are Lord God, that you are our Savior and you love us so much. God, may we live this life here on earth, God, in that way, in glorifying you and sharing your love. In Jesus' name, amen.